On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at Salesforce declaring the nine to five workday dead. We're going to be taking a look at HubSpot signing an agreement to buy the hustle or acquire the hustle, which proves Victor and I right. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk boutique CRMs and a whole lot more. Welcome to This Week in Sales. I'm one half of this show, Will Barron, founder over at Salesman.org. Victor Antonio, sales legend, absolute sales legend, joins me by the power of the internet. Victor, how is it going, sir? Will, it is going really good. I didn't tell you this, but I've been up since 1.30 a.m. It's uh, 10.30 a.m. now. I was doing a call with India this wow. morning. That's an hustle. afternoon session. So I'm, after this, I think I'm going to take a nap. But other than that, man, I'm fired up. Uh, I love some of the topics, especially some of the ones you've highlighted. I'm looking forward to this discussion. I don't know if that is because you're going to start to rinse me on some of these and you feel like you've got some good ammunition to take the piss out of me or what. But we'll get into the first one here. Salesforce. Salesforce has declared the nine to five workday dead. And it's not quite as simple as that. So they're giving their employees flexibility in how, when, and where they work with three types of working victim. There's flex. So when it's safe to return to the office, most of our employees around the globe will work flex. This means they'll be in the office one to three days a week for team collaboration, customer meetings, and presentations. There is fully remote, which is, I guess, what everyone is doing now for employees who don't live near an office. So I guess you're now allowed to live where you want and you don't have to come in the office anymore. Um, and then we have office-based, which is where we've been in the past. This is uh, on TheVerge.com. But this is big news of a company the size of Salesforce with the tens of thousands of employees that they have implementing this across the organization. Does it surprise you, Victor, that they are giving so much flexibility to their employees, given these kind of three flex, remote, uh, fully remote and office-based uh, kind of ways of doing business? It, it's only shocking in the way because it's such a large company, right? Well, I mean, it's not talk about you know a hundred employees. I don't know. By the way, how big is Salesforce? How many employees do they have? Let me find. Let's look that one up. Let me find. I mean, out. that's the only thing that's really like surprising that a company would make that call. But you know, I. By the way, here's a total tangent off this. Okay. I because I I've heard Mark we lasted, one second. talk. We lasted. 30 seconds into a top, the first topic then before we went on a tangent. That might be a new small record for us. <laughs> small tangent, small <laughs> tangent. Mark Benioff is very um, environmentally uh, concerned. Mm -hmm. And so this really reduces, you know, uh, you know, their footprint. Uh, yeah. their, you know, their, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Their eco footprint. So I think maybe that's part of it as well. That would be interesting to think about. Yeah. I, and I guess for a large public organization, that's something that, talked about publicly, you can spin that, you can create content and media about it and create goodwill with, I don't know, Peter or whoever organizations that cover this kind of thing, um, charities and cover this thing. So yeah, that's fair point. And let me ask you this, I'm gonna get you to guess, how many employees do you think salesforce.com have on the books right now in 2020? 15,000 is my number. Are you sure about that? I'm gonna go with 50, maybe 20. <laughs> 49,000 employees. Wow. See, that's even more incredible, isn't it? 49, wow. That is that's a big move then. That's a yeah. big move. Yeah. That, that is literally a, a football stadium, um, you know, a, a massive, not quite massive, but a pretty big festival. Literally, well, they do it every year, don't they, with Dreamforce? That is literally, that's maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why Dreamforce is so big and vast and, and epic. Because by the time you just get the staff in there, never mind anyone else, you've created a, a festival in its own right. 
That's amazing. I didn't realize it was that big. That is amazing. And by the way, when you say football field, what type of football are you talking about? American football, which I'm, is real football, and then there's your football. So I'm talking about the, the sport where you kick the ball with your feet. See, if you were running with a ball, it would, you'd, you'd be slightly... Um, you'd be slightly... Be run, ball, kind of, run ball, run ball. Yeah. I think that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, is that a, is that a stretch of the imagination that the, the sports, that probably the older sports as well, that you kick the ball with your feet would be called football? I, l- I left myself wide open for that one. <laughs> well done. Well played. <laughs> you didn't leave yourself wide open. America left itself wide open for that one, Victor. Okay, so moving on from HubSpot, we've got another CRM company. We have, uh, sorry, moving on from Salesforce, we have another CRM company. We have HubSpot. Uh, that was almost a good transition. I screwed that one up. HubSpot assigned an agreement to acquire the Hustle. So it's hustle.co. And they are basically, we we predicted this. We we said this is going to happen. HubSpot, and I'm going to quote here from my friend, Kieran, who is SVP of marketing over HubSpot. He says, quote, by acquiring the Hustle, we'll be better able to meet the needs of scaling companies by delivering educational, business, and tech trend content in their, the customer's preferred formats. HubSpot has built a large community around its educational content. They've got 7 million people each month reading the company's blogs, hundreds of thousands of people on their videos on YouTube, and the Academy, which is another source of education for the HubSpot community, has over 100,000 people in it. Victor, a HubSpot doing the right thing here by acquiring educational content that they can then put in front of their audience to add all these extra levels of value that perhaps just as a CRM at its core, it's because it's so competitive, that marketplace, it's getting more and more difficult to compete in. The, the question is, how much did they spend? Okay, how much so did they spend on the hustle? Unofficially, so this is uh, from an article in uh, over at TechCrunch, it was allegedly about $27 million. $27 million. I think they'll get their money back. Yeah, for sure. I think they'll get their money back. So I think it's a good move. For sure. We Should, should we like create an official stamp of approval on this show? <laughs> we approve that. Bam. You've been approved. <laughs> Kieran can, Flanagan, boom, we approve your move. We can literally have it just come up on the screen, like in the edit. I need a button. I need a big fat button on the table. I need one like that just rejects your terrible jokes, like a rejection button. <laughs> and then I need an, an additional one for this message is approved by this week in serve. You know, we, we should consider adding that, right? We should consider adding a, a mutually agreed upon button. I, you know, reject, accept, good deal, bad deal. That's what we should get, a good deal, bad deal. Yeah, we got to get a good deal, bad deal we button. Should, I we love can, that. We can do it. That. Even if it's just for a one-off episode, we could definitely do that. Uh, something I thought interesting about this. Um, so we, obviously, I work with uh, HubSpot quite closely. So I'm, I'm following uh, kind of deeply this, this story and what they're doing in the acquisition. Um, Sam Parr, I believe he's the CEO over at Hustle.co. Now, he said in a tweet... Quote, we've had lots of media companies try to buy us. We said no. Most ad-first media companies are dying and I don't want to join a sinking clickbait ship. Fair enough, not unreasonable. He follows on to say, I always thought a B2B SaaS business should buy us, but I never thought they'd be bold enough to try. So we've kind of been alluding to some of this, that B2B SaaS organizations perhaps should be buying these. And it's not just education. They've got a massive email list. I think it's like 1.5 million people they've got on their email list. So there's value to that because that can be marketed to, mm-hmm. right? That There is literally a hard ROI that can come from that. Whether it covers 27 million, I don't know. Um, but did you find that interesting as well? That uh, kind of quote from Sam Parr here, CEO of The Hustle, in that he 
he was almost daring B2B SaaS organizations to get involved with him, and he, he didn't think any of them would be bold enough to do it. That is interesting. He knew his value. He yeah. knew the company's value. But what I found, what I find more impressive than his insight into who he wanted to, to want to be bought by, was the fact that you know everybody. You know Kieran <laughs> Flanagan, and apparently you know Sam Parr too. Is there somebody you don't know, Will, that we should know about? Uh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's just from doing 700 episodes of the podcast. There's nothing more complicated. I just do, if you do anything long enough, you're going to bump into people, right? And this is, I guess, this is an opportunity. We need another button for like a button for a sales training moment. This is a sales training moment. Yeah. If you just stick in the same space for long enough, you end up knowing a lot of the players. And so you get to, I don't think people are buying necessarily on relationships. I don't think Kieran is going to buy a load of ad space off us because he likes me personally. But if I can pick up the phone to him, at least I can engage in that conversation versus six years ago, seven years ago, I wouldn't have been able to. And it's just from being so like thick-headed enough to carry on going down that path that these kind of relationships and networks evolve for me anyway. I don't. I guess I don't, what I'm saying is I don't proactively try and build these networks, but when you are active in a space long enough, they kind of develop organically, I feel. Well, you've done a lot of work, Will, so I salute you because I, I, joking aside, you've done a lot of work in this space, so I'm sure you have one deep Rolodex, if I can still use that phrase. <laughs> well, All right, here's one of those, Victor. Yext. I just like the name. Yext. <laughs> Instead of text, it's with a Y. Yext, Inc., the search engine cloud, experienced cloud company, announced the promotion of David Rudnitsky to president and chief revenue officer. Quote from the CEO, Yext is, a disrupting the, is disrupting the search category, and Dave has quite literally written the book on technology sales disruption, says Howard Lerman, founder and CEO of Yext. Now, I wanted to highlight this. This is kind of, again, off track a little bit. I get it, Will, because I'm sure you look at some of my, my submissions and you go, what is he thinking? But here's why I thought this was interesting from a, from a sales slash technology standpoint. So Yext is a search engine that you put on your site. And when I read the case study with Cox Communication, it says Cox Communication uses Yext to update and maintain important brand information across their entire knowledge network, which is 175 digital services globally, including Google, Amazon, Alexa. And what they're doing is through Yext, they're controlling what people search for and the content they find. But the bottom line was this, using Yext answers, I love that, Yext answers, because uh, when are you going to hear that? Yext why don't you just yext it? You know what I mean? Why don't you just yext it? Uh, Cox Communication experienced a 51% increase in site search conversion rates and a 59% decrease in repeat on-site searches. And I, and I, and I love this company, the, the concept, because so many times I go on a website, Will, and I use their search bar and I just can't find what I want. And I get irritated. And then I do come back and try to find it again. And I get more irritated. So I think they're trying to reduce some of that friction on their website I think that's a good move. It's a difficult one because you're right. It is a good move, uh, but Google offered this service as well, and I'm not mm. sure anyone can spider a website. So, if anyone unfamiliar, Google use what essentially bots called spiders, and they go from one page, and then they go to the next page, and if there's no links there, they'll jump back. Then they'll go to the next link. If there's no links, they'll jump back. Then they'll go to link to link to link, document everything, and then they will kind of share it with the world. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I think it'd be it's a pretty bold move to try and go up against Google Site Search, which is a, a feature you can for free add to your own site anyway. I, I think what they're trying to do is they can build the knowledge base within the Yext search engine. So the results that they want to come up on the first page are going to be what they've loaded into the okay. Yext search engine. 
And then whatever they can't find, maybe they'll spider out to some of the other search engines. That's how I view it. Okay, that makes more sense. So the the more yeah. curating it as opposed to letting Google use its own algorithms to to suss out what what goes where. Correct. Interesting. Interesting. And anything like this, though, Victor, is important for salespeople to 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 tie it directly into that of a fifty one percent increase in site search conversion rate and decrease on repeat on site searches. Things like this mean that your buyers are going to be more educated when you do engage with them because they're going to be able to find the right content on the right website at the right time of the buying process without having to ring you up or email you and ask questions. And a lot of the, it depends on the product, depends on how complex it is, of course, but a lot of questions that I know I find with uh, with our buyers, especially people who are buying the training product, for example, uh, in, in the kind of the B2B space, uh, managers, sales leaders, a lot of the questions are easily answerable within an FAQ page. So a lot of the time, I'll just ping them to an FAQ page. If they can search and it's more interactive and they can um, pull out information on their own terms, that's got to be better than ha- the the burden of emailing me or our support team and then being pinged to something else. So there is value from that from a kind of a buying perspective. Cool. Next up then, and there's a lot of uh, acquisitions Cash being thrown around at B2B. I feel like there's, there was a bit of a lull after Christmas, Victor, of acquisitions and cash being thrown around. Maybe uh, maybe people with money hibernate for a few months after after Christmas. But B2B sales data startup, Lusha, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Lusha, Lusha, secures $40 million in A series funding. Now, Lusha, are you, are you familiar with this company before I dive into it? I am not. Okay. So they uh, provide emails, contact information, that side of things. They clearly do it by scraping websites and and doing what a lot of other websites do. But the, I guess, USP unique selling point is that it's also crowdsourced within their own sales community. Now, that to me sounds like a lot of buzzwords and a lot of, like, I don't really care where it comes from. I just want the data and I want it to be relevant. But it was the numbers within the community that made me, my ears prick up and give it that valuation uh, or get that number of cash, that cash being thrown into it made more sense. The community has expanded to over 520,000 sales professionals, over 167,000 sales organizations. So at that point of that scale, perhaps you can do crowdsourcing for information. Perhaps you get that, uh, is it the six degrees of separation? Perhaps a, there's enough people in there in the B2B space that they are one or two degrees away from being able to make an introduction. Uh, I, I assume the services you supply an email address that's needed and then you get one for free on, on, the, on the back end of it and there's that exchange process in place. What do you think about this, Victor, for, I guess, modern B2B sales networking, whereas 20 years ago you might have had to go down the golf club and, and catch the 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 buyer on the way out or, yeah, I know, buy them a few drinks or whatever it is and now we're doing it Salespeople are doing it themselves internally within a closed platform. Well, well, first of all, I'm disappointed in myself that I don't know who Lucia or Lusha is. By the way, send us a reminder on thisweekinsales.com if we don't know, if we're pronouncing it wrong, if you're from Lucia or Lusha. So I feel bad that I didn't even hear about this company. And then I realized when, I, when you posted these numbers, I'm like, what? Why haven't I heard about this company? <laughs> so... I think the reason, in fact, you know what, Well, I'm not taking the blame. I'm not taking the blame. I'm going to blame their marketing department. Their marketing department needs to step up so people like me can find out more about it. How's that for? Abdicating responsibility. Well, look, Victor, I've got to call you out for that, mate. You, sales expert, uh, trainer, 
entrepreneur. Maybe you're just not their customer. Maybe B2B salespeople. Maybe we've lost touch with our, our B2B sales backgrounds. Maybe if you were a B2B salesperson, the marketing team are killing it and you would know exactly who they are. Maybe. I feel like I feel like I'm just lost right now, you know. So anyway, <laughs> by the way, congratulations to them. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. If you look at those numbers, 520,000 sales professionals, 167,000 sales organizations. Good for you guys. Make good use of that money. Don't blow it at the bar or anything. Let's invest it back in the company. Let's make things happen. And again, a reminder, for any feedback, comments, or just you just want to say hi to us, go to thisweekinsales.com. And if, if, you, if it's good news and you want to kind of lavish us with praise, uh, uh, address it to me. Uh, <laughs> if you've got any complaints about the production of this, anything else, just give that to Will. On that note, hey, let's move over to our sales tool and technology update. Sugar CRM. By the way, I just love that name. I got to tell you, I love the name. Sugar CRM. What kind of CRM do you have? Man, it's sugar. <laughs> sugar CRM users can now utilize exceeds conversational AI to automate lead qualification. You know, I just had a random thought. Well, and I have to kind of back up a little bit. Okay. So when you look at going back to Lucia, aren't there a lot of other companies doing what they're doing? You know what I mean? Building a platform uh, much like this without the crowdsourcing data aspect. I wanted to ask you about that. Are a lot of companies doing this? Yes. I think what separates Lucia from, and again, I've not been in the platform. I'm uh, commentating this from the outside in on news reports as opposed to being a user myself to make things clear. I think the crowdsourcing element of it is supposed to be its unique selling property in that uh, it's not just dragging data from a website that might be out of date. When something is out of date on the platform, I assume people could flag it up as out of date, and then you can add a correct email, phone number, whatever it is in there. Because this is a smart move as well, in that at some point, LinkedIn is just going to close its doors. Every uh, data provider, whether they admit it or not, is basically scraping LinkedIn for content, right, and, and contact information. Mm. And it used to be way more public, then they've half closed it off now, and eventually they're going to close it off because it's a paid service that they're going to give, and they kind of give it through Sales Navigator already. So I think what they're doing, yes, there's tons of people in the marketplace. Um, I use, for example, Lead IQ. I've used that for years now, so grab email addresses uh, and phone numbers and things like that. But I think what they're proposing is, Maybe all that's going to disappear. It's going to be difficult to scrape this information. And our information is way more up to date because there's so many salespeople on it, on the platform, updating things as they go along. Is it, doesn't, it, doesn't it seem, though, and I don't want to belabor the Lucia, but let me throw a fly in the Lucia ointment for a second. <laughs> I already pinged their marketing people. Might as well ping their business people as well. Like, why would I want to? And I, I need you to help me clarify because, again, I'm just lost on this topic. Okay. On the crowdsourcing, I always think Wikipedia, right? We crowdsource okay. that. We make sure that the information is accurate on, on Wikipedia, right? Very similar approach here. If I'm selling and I want to go into a certain market, why would I want to update information that might help my competitor get in? So, again, I'm assuming, I will have a look in a second as we go through the next topic. I'm assuming that when you update something, then you get a credit so that you can pull data back from it at a later date. Uh-oh. Okay, a but, pay for play, so to speak. Let me the also, more you contribute, yep. the more you get back. But let me also ask you this, Victor. Why does anyone for free spend time updating Wikipedia? Do people don't get paid for that. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, you're right. Why do they do that? If you'd, you'd asked 20 years ago, hey, by the way, here's the deal. There's going to be this <laughs> online library. Everybody's going to participate, use their knowledge, give it away for free, update everything. Nobody charges anything. 
No, you wouldn't believe it. Encyclopedia Britannica would still be in business if it wasn't for Wikipedia, yeah. things like that. So it is amazing. It is. I, by the way, I kind of find it uh, reassure me, reassuring from a humanity standpoint that we're willing to kind of get together, kumbaya, on the data and share. So that's a good point. Now, let me, let me let's interrupt get back you. To, I, I've, go got, I've got one more sidetrack I want to go on this because, Victor, I don't feel like I've made it, right? I feel like I'm a few steps behind you in a few areas of life. I'm sure it'll come with time. But I don't think I've made it because I don't have my own Wikipedia page, and you do. You have a killer Wikipedia page. So my question is, did you create this Wikipedia page 10 years ago, and now it gets updated by other people as different projects and things happen? Or... I'd, I'd, I'm genuinely intrigued. How how did the Wikipedia page come across? Clearly, you've had you've had a TV show, massive YouTube channel, loads of other things going on. But where did the or how did the Wikipedia page come about? Somebody actually built it. They just said, "I'm going to build your Wikipedia page because I can't do it." You know how you can't yep. build your own Wikipedia page? It just you're not allowed. Somebody has to build it for you. I think it got past the filters on Wikipedia because uh, the television show. Sure. The books are great, but the television show was the one that really, yes, Victor Antonio has a television show. Mm -hmm. So the television show is the one that actually, I think, pushed it over the top and didn't get it deleted. Because years ago, I tried to do it myself, and it got <laughs> deleted almost immediately. So this time, somebody who I guess really appreciated and liked me says, you know what, I'm going to take it on, and I'll build your Wikipedia page. So I really don't understand, but yes, I have a Wikipedia page. You know, Will, step up your game. Come on, step up your game, Will. Genuinely, on, it's, something, it's something I pondered. Because uh, also, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring it back onto the topic, but just even having links and having a Wikipedia page increases your Google rankings and all kinds of things because it makes you legit because there is such yep. a barrier to creating your own. Um, so, yeah, let's dive back into the not next topic then. Let's get back into some, some serious news here. Some somewhat serious Seriously, news. Sugar CRM users can now utilize, again, Xe's conversational AI to automate lead qualification. The integration enables marketing and sales teams to tap into Xe's lead engagement and qualification technology to increase revenue generation from current pipelines. Now, let's, let's define who Xe is. A leading provider of marketing sales automated AI solutions. Again, and they announced this deal, right? Now, this CX platform integrates. By the way, it also Sugar CRM is also part of well, let me see. It, it integrates with Exceed, also with Salesforce, Oracle, HubSpot, Market. I mean, this is a big company. Have you ever heard of, I mean, have you worked with Sugar CRM? Are you familiar with the company? I'm familiar with them, but I've never done uh, kind of sponsorship Good. deals or anything like that. Yeah. So it says, with 80% of new leads never translate into sales, according to statistics published by Invesp, Exceed's technology can now lower this percentage by engaging all leads autonomously. So... Has conversational AI actually gotten to the point where it can now have these conversations without you, the salesperson? I mean, this is what's interesting. It's how deep does it exceed, you know, machine learning, deep learning database go? That's the big question I have for this one. That's, that's a big question I have. And I think if I would have told you this story, you would have gone, I think there's some bullshit going on here, Will, with you, with this, this post. I think you would have called me out on it. So, you know, they've not, I mean, they, they, to be fair to them, they've quoted 80% of new leads never translated to sales according to statistics, yada, yada. Exceeds technology can lower this percentage. Now, if it's lowering it by 1%, I don't care. If it's lowering it by 20%, right. now we're talking. So they've been very open-ended about the numbers here. Maybe there's a reason for that. Who knows? 
you know, this could be a, it all, it could also be one of those tick marks in your qualification for a proposal. Let's say you're submitting a proposal and they'll say, hey, you got a CRM, but do you have conversational AI? Check. We now have that. So to your point, it might just be not that special. By the way, for Sugar CRM, if we are wrong, please let us know. Thisweekinsales.com. Please address it to Will. It almost, it almost sounds like we're baiting these organizations, like we're picking on them until they give us a reply because we've had quite a few replies over the past few weeks. I, I, I assure everyone who's listening, we're not picking on anyone. Um, but if you, if you we pick on everybody, we pick on everybody. That, that's a better way to frame it. We pick on everyone. Okay, so next one, and, and this ties into the, the previous topic about uh, leads that don't get kind of worked, that don't translate into sales. Again, Vivun. V-I-V-U-N raises $35 million to advance what's called pre-sales engineering, their pre-sales engineering platform. So Vivoon provides a software as a service platform dubbed Hero that automates the management of pre-sales processes. Victor, are you familiar with this kind of pre-sales engineering either kind of platform or, or role that I assume actually exists? No. I, you know, the only thing I can assume is that if they're going after, let's say, companies where you've been, you're, you've been a B2B manufacturer where they have to spec things out, that maybe it's a collaborative platform. But I've never heard of this. So this is new. Okay. So but somebody somebody threw $35 million at this company. Yep. So might be something there. So uh, again, from this is from VentureBeat.com. Uh, it continues, while customer relationship management software is widely employed to manage sales processes, applications optimized for pre-sales teams made up of engineers who often have more mm -hmm. insights into which deals are more likely to close than other members of the sales team. Um, this is what the software is for. It's for those individuals. Pre-sales engineers mm -hmm. tend to have a better idea of which de deals are likely to close based on attributes of a product. So I guess they're looking for product and market fit as opposed to salespeople might be looking for product <laughs> well, wait, sell a this to wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm calling this one out. I'm <laughs> calling this one out. If your pre-sales engineers tend to have a better idea of which deals are more likely to close than your salespeople, your BDRs, your SDRs, you need, there's something wrong with your process. Either that or I'm not understanding this. How, how is it that the pre-sales team, unless they're really salespeople, can have a better understanding? I don't get it well. I don't well, get it. Well, very specifically, they're using the term here, engineer. And this is why I included this, because I thought you know it, it's it's ripe for discussion, right? Uh, they're using very specifically the term engineer as opposed to salesperson, kind of business development mm -hmm. or anything like that. So what I assume that they're doing here is they're looking for data that suggests and, and makes links as opposed to BDR sits on the phone all day, cold calling, cold emailing, to see if they've got the attention of someone. So I assume that's what this is. Maybe it's uh, the step before a BDR at scale. Um, and, and it's, or, you know, it, we're going pre-sales, BDR. So the, 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 the business development reps, SDRs, uh, sales development reps are more effective because they're going after the right accounts. Um, I, I assume that is what uh, a lot of this about. And, and I'll, I'll just continue to, to kind of double down on this point. While pre-sales teams have historically been viewed, historically, Victor and I have never heard this term before, so I don't know how, how historical this is. <laughs> While pre-sales teams have historically been viewed as an adjunct to salespeople who typically engage the customer first, Darrow, Darrow, thank you, Darrow, whoever you are, said pre-sales teams often have a deeper understanding of each customer's requirements. Based on that knowledge, they may have a better appreciation for which deals are most likely to close and which they should engage on, essentially. So yeah, I think what they're trying to do here is 
Whereas I would be what I'd call now a full stack salesperson. I'd find the customer. I would go in and demo a product. I'd sell them the product. I'd support them after the fact with ongoing training. They're trying to split this role out into even more and more steps and more and more individuals with pre-sales, BDRs, account managers, customer success, which I think is a bit of a weird thing to do. I, I think it is. I don't know why. I don't. I wouldn't have given them my money. I don't know. Because I'm like, why wouldn't I make that a, just a pre-step in my sales process within a CRM? You know what I mean? And they just reassign people. But But how does... So this line right here, while pre-sales teams have historically been viewed as the adjective salespeople who typically engage the customer first, yes, right, to ask them the discovery questions, Daryl says... Pre-sales teams often have a deeper understanding of each customer's requirement. Well, how? How do they have a better... I'm lost. I, f I feel like this episode of This Week in Sales, I'm just like, I'm one degree off center. <laughs> I'm not getting this. This one I don't get either. <clears throat> well, Am I, I missing... I tell you what... <laughs> Am I missing something? I tell you what, we should, we should... I will do it. We'll reach out to Vivun and we will find out, we'll get a statement from them what a pre-sales engineer is. Because it's if that if it exists in the way that they're describing it and the way that I'm assuming it exists, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here. It seems like it could be quite an interesting job. Perhaps you go from a sales role and you're sick of dealing with customers on the front end. Mm -hmm. If you if you're skilled at um, identifying key accounts, large enterprise accounts, and things like that, maybe and you and you're a fan of data, like I think you and I are, kind of with mm -hmm. engineering and, and science backgrounds, that could be a cool role. So perhaps we'll do a follow up on this and we'll find out. And if there's any pre sales engineers listening, please do reach out over at thisweekinsales.com and uh, tell us that we're idiots and we've got it all wrong. Please do that. Yeah, it may be us, but, but I'm seeing the horse before the cart, the cart before the horse, one <laughs> of the two. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's one or two. Hey, Will, did you know there, there's actually a real estate CRM software out there? And I found this article interesting. And again, I, I, I'm coming in from left field on this. When I know when you saw the notes, you go, what is he throwing in there now? But I thought this was interesting. Uh, the title is The Top Real Estate CRM Software is Out There uh, by Scott Robinson over at Lucina Health. And he says, for the most part, real estate CRM software does not differ from traditional CRM systems. Lead generation, lead management, contact management, marketing automation. However, there's a word that's always going to pivot you. However, there are some additional types of data that real estate CRM systems are designed to accommodate. Listing management, property tracking, properties as investment. The, the real estate CRM market is still relatively new, but here are some noteworthy players in the field. Market leader being one, follow-up boss, I don't know about that name, wise agent, kind of like that name, total brokerage, I think I like that, and then Isaac, instead of exact, with an I, Isaac. And so my question is, what do you think of these boutique CRMs? Is this is this a play here? So, I guess in the when when a, a segment of a marketplace blows up, CRM is now clearly very established, right? Mm -hmm. It's difficult for the likes of Salesforce, without a ton of plugins and without probably a ton of cost associated with it to offer probably as direct uh, a pathway via the CRM of next box, next box, next box, as some of these companies can. So there will always be smaller niches for these individuals. Now, are they going to blow up and do billions in revenue like what Salesforce, HubSpot, you know, our friends at all these CRM companies do? Maybe not. But I feel like, um, I don't feel like, I know the marketplace will do this. It will get so big that you've got one uh, or two market leaders 
massive players in the industry. Everyone else, they're just buying up and gobbling up everyone else because that's how that's the only way they can grow because the marketplace is so saturated. But there will always be these smaller companies on the fringes. Um, I guess I can liken it to uh, what we do over at Selden.org with our training program. There are massive sales training companies, you know, Sandler, Richardson, all these massive brands that I can't compete directly with, but people will come to us because they like me, my style, the training, and same with your training, Victor. They want to they want to learn from Victor Antonio. They don't want to learn from generic person at random large sales training organization. So some of this could be that the I know uh, you're familiar with Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. So Dave Ramsey, has of course a, I am. Sure. Dave Ramsey, um, massive uh, radio show, massive kind of uh, broadcasting show on YouTube, uh, uh, podcasts elsewhere. Well, now he has his own um, software apps for numerous different uh, kind of applications, right? Mm. And there's he's competing with some real big boys, but people will choose his apps because they've listened to him. He's helped them get out of debt um, or he's given them financial advice, whatever whatever it is over the years. So there's always markets within uh, a large segment for smaller sub-segments when you then get down to the, uh, whether you feel uh, kind of an affiliation with a, a brand, with an individual. I guess it's the same with clothes, right? For every Nike, there's 27,000 smaller brands where you go, oh, that, that, that's just cool. I'm just going to buy that T-shirt. I'm less, I, I care less about the quality of it, more just for the, the, the coolness. So um, I think these kind of smaller CRM companies are here to stay. But obviously, it's a much tougher battle to, to be in than to be the kind of in-house dominant uh, CRM organization in a specific industry. Yeah, I, I, I love this. Uh, by the way, great explanations and analogies. The, I, I, I love the, um, because if you really think about it, you got real estate, you got financial services, let's say contractors, you know, plumbers, HVAC, you got all kinds of boutiques, uh, CRMs that could be developed. And I don't think a company like HubSpot or maybe a Salesforce Maybe. What, could that be part of their marketing strategy? They could have the boutique division. How's that? We'll I suggest think, that the Salesforce and HubSpot. Hey, create a boutique division. I think that would muddy the message, though. So, <clears throat> like, HubSpot are going up market now into the enterprise. Uh, they've been the CRM for small businesses for, for years in, in the meantime. So that's kind of been what they've been great at and they've been focused on. And Salesforce, obviously, they, they, they grew on the fact that they're in the cloud. They just revolutionized the CRM industry. I think if you then start having multiple products, multi and Salesforce have this issue. They've got so, if, if I say to you Salesforce CRM, is it uh, Salesforce Cloud? Is it Salesforce this? Is it Salesforce this? They own work.com. They own all these different brands and services. That Then your value proposition and your messaging become very muddled. And that's the advantage that these guys have. We create X product for Y customer. If you're this customer, don't care about anyone else. If you're this customer, you're going to get Z benefits. That is a very simple value proposition. It can be shared over a cold email, over a cold call. And it's very difficult to turn that down uh, or at least turn that conversation down if uh, if there's value in it versus when you get into the big organizations, if they were to go Salesforce boutique, Salesforce uh, CRM estate, real estate version seven for people in just North America, it just becomes more and more difficult to kind of narrow down. And they don't, probably don't care about this marketplace at all anyway. They're the, the rolling in cash, so they just don't care. So somebody's somebody's going to want their data. But, but anyway, I think it's an interesting market, these little boutiques, uh, CRMs being created. So anyway, on the sales training, uh, I found this one interesting also. Uh, the top marketing strategies for SMEs in 2021. There's some really depressing news here. Uh, this is by David Fair, 
full on, uh, just came out February 9th here. Research from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Small Business Index reveals that 50% of small businesses concerned that they'll have to permanently close in the next year if the economic climate doesn't change. And so the top strategies they suggested to adopt for survival purposes to get to know your audience, that's kind of obvious, explore omni-channel growth, again, a little that's a layup, incorporate shoppable content. This one caught my attention a little bit. Consumers live online and they shop online, uh, they live online and they shop online also. This number, with a whopping 60% of people saying they discovered new products on Instagram. Now, Will, <laughs> guilty as charged here. Really? I bought product. Yes. I I find Instagram, like, I don't really go to Facebook anymore. I'm always on Instagram, and they seem to know what I kind of like. And I've actually bought products off of the Instagram. So I believe that number is 6%. So as a result, the social, uh, the social commerce trend is predicted to boom in 2021, whereby user engagement on social media is converted directly into sales. I believe that one. Number four, as far as strategy, integrate innovative technology. Now, this one kind of had a little flavor to it, which is why I added it. So when they talk about innovate, uh, innovative technology, research from Quantcast and Forbes Insight revealed that of 500 marketers, 52% had noticed a growth in sales, while 51% had noticed a growth in customer retention since introducing AI capabilities into their ecosystem. I've been saying for a little bit now since the pandemic that there's four ways to grow your business, right? Gain new clients, retain, upsell, cross-sell, and reactivate the old. And I think retention is one of the most underutilized growth strategies in the market today. And if they can use AI to do that, I think that's a great strategy. What are your thoughts, Will? I'm going to go back to point three here, incorporate okay. shoppable content. <clears throat> as I'm, mm -hmm. I'm losing my voice as, as I'm going through this episode. So mm -hmm. I'll be, I'm going to be hoarse as heck by the end of it. Victor, I'm surprised that you use social media. I'm, su I'm surprised that you spend time scrolling on Instagram. Why, 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 why are Just you from a uh, productivity standpoint. Oh, I, I, I love Instagram. I got to be honest. <laughs> I like Instagram. I don't know why. I love, I love the short, uh, I, what is it, IGTV? Mm -hmm. I like IGTV. Uh, and so I actually engage with Instagram and LinkedIn, probably the only two mediums I engage with. But I think, it, I think Instagram is a little different. You, you can get some news snippets. Right, gets a couple of updates from people, but I love the news snippets because I can control what I consume in terms of media content from that standpoint. And I just happen to see once in a while a product I like. I don't know why you're surprised, Will. Hon I mean, honestly, are you, telling me you don't use Instagram at all. No, I don't use any social media at all. And uh, I, I'm not criticizing you here. I'm genuinely, um, I'm genuinely interested, right? Because because you're you're clearly very successful. Um, so I'm not kind of, I'm genuinely not taking the piss. I'm not having a slight at you here. I'm just surprised. I, I, can't, I can't use social media because it sucks too much time, for me personally anyway, it sucks too much time. And I find it does, um, I just like skew, <clears throat> not necessarily my opinions on things, but it skews the, uh, like the, the path of my day. Now, to be fair, if I go on Instagram, it is all golden retrievers and extreme sports, like skateboarding, mountain biking, mm -hmm. and things like that. So it is a complete waste of time. There's no news. There's nothing relevant or interesting on there. It is just trying to suck my attention into the screen. Um, but like you, I don't use Facebook. I have to. I struggle to get on uh, LinkedIn. It takes it takes actual willpower. I've trained myself not to use social media so much that I have to force myself to get on LinkedIn to post, which is why I barely ever post on there, which is a problem because it's a great platform to I think share content. 
I think I spent, if I were to calculate the total amount of time I spent on mostly LinkedIn, Instagram, maybe YouTube once in a while, but mostly LinkedIn and Instagram, I say I've, I spent about 45 minutes to an hour a day total combined for both, which is, you know, it keeps, the thing is I, I, I get the pulse of people's thoughts. For example, on LinkedIn, I like to read posts or watch short videos from other people who are, are selling, who have new product announcements and things of that nature. Uh, believe it or not, Twitter, if you do it the right way, is a great tool. So I only follow about 14 or 15 people on Twitter. I got 15,000, 14,000 followers, but I only follow like 14 people at most, maybe less. And I get the updates I want, and it's usually from great companies like Gartner, Forrester that give me updates. So I guess I curate the content a little more. And then Instagram is just pure entertainment. I have to be honest. I'm not going to sit here and try to say, I'm going to try to intellectualize Instagram. I am not. I'm not. That's pure mental candy right there yeah. for me. Yeah, I, I, you, you threw YouTube in there. I spend, I probably spend 40, 30, 40 minutes on YouTube a day. So that kind of uh, is my mental candy, I guess. So it, I just thought it was interesting of how clearly people have preferences. Um, I guess it's how you want to consume content, how your brain is wired, perhaps. I know some of the science on whether people are like, uh, audio focused or kinesthetic or, or visual focused, the science behind that can be a little bit sketchy at times. Um, but yeah, I guess it's uh, kind of what has sucked you in and what entertained you over time. Uh, interesting. You right. know what? I Go. thought you were saying that because of my age. I knew. You know, since I'm bringing up I, the tail end of baby boomers, I, I thought you I were knew. just picking up my age here, man. I, that's why I kind of prerequisited the the comment by about 15 different things because I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna think that because because uh, it's an obvious thing to think about, isn't it? When you when you're age, you're like, why is Victor this ancient dude? Why is he using Instagram? What the heck? Now, if you say you're using TikTok every day, now I'm starting to get worried because that's that's TikTok no, is just no. TikTok is just a mess of idiots i'm gonna I'm, I'm calling out i just, have never i have never been on tiktok i i've tried it but it's just i and and there's quite a few business people who are having success on it right now um so maybe it's it's something that we should take more seriously but because well, even, even even uh i was going to mention like we mentioned this before clubhouse yeah are you familiar with that yet uh it's, it's, i'm i may it's be here yeah I, it, it's massive it's come up in loads of conversations um, I might be being, I, I literally had a phone call about it today with a large CRM organization who wants me to be involved with their clubhouse efforts. Now, if it wasn't for them yeah. being involved, I wouldn't be involved with it at all because it's just another distraction for me. It is. I, I, you know, I, I've gone on several times on clubhouse and I think it's, it's, I view it as a waste of time, but maybe again, I'm the old guy in the room, the 50 year old guy at the disco that doesn't <laughs> see it. Right, just go. I don't get it, but it seems like I just don't get it. Will, unless there's a reason, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Again, if, if you partner with a company that says, "Look, here's our strategy. We want to, you know, drive more traffic." Did I get that? I'm, I'm sure people are do, making money and doing well at it. I just didn't want to add an extra social media yep. arrow, yep. you know, that I had to deal with. So anyway. Yeah, and, and I think that's a learning point for the audience as well. If I could take one thing away from just our quick spiel there, it's find something that works and do it, especially if you're social selling. It's probably LinkedIn, right? It's probably not podcast, YouTube, uh, all these different social media platforms. Uh, but yeah, if you're wasting time on a social media platform, just remember, we talked about this in the past, you are the product. You being on the platform consuming content are creating revenue and finance for these organizations. You know, it's an exchange here. So just be careful uh, of how you're spending your time. Hey, by, by the way, Will, were you the one that suggested 
that the, you know, if it's free, you're the product. This is what you're alluding to, right? Were mm-hmm. you the one that suggested that that there, these conversations are actually being recorded and they're using sentiment analysis to analyze the actual conversations or whatever it may be? Were you the one that suggested that? I thought that was an interesting insight. Uh, I didn't suggest it. I might, I might have told you that because it's fact. Okay. That's, okay. So you probably were the one that told me that. Yeah. I think that's interesting. It's insane. Just, just think about everything you've ever searched for on Google is, is recorded in a history. Now, I know my Google search results. I wouldn't want my mum or dad to see them, right? Now, you go on Instagram. <laughs> Depending on what you're searching for on Instagram, there's plenty of stuff on there that I perhaps wouldn't want me dad to, um, to have a look at. Um, Facebook and stuff, maybe less. But all of this content, all of this data, even if it's anonymized in that there's just a number attached to it rather than your mm. specific name, which is not the case with Facebook products. It's literally tied to you and it's tied to mm-hmm. all of the pictures you've ever put up. So they could use facial recognition to pick you out in a crowd and target you with ads if they wanted to. That, to me, is is scary. Um, but let's move on to something that's slightly less scary and something that seems counterintuitive but isn't. This is an article from calcalistech.com and it's entitled, What Motivates Employees? Clearly, it isn't the internal competition. So, Victor, this article suggests that less than 20% of sales representatives improve their performance under competitive conditions, according to data from Energy. Does this surprise you? Are we moving away from this boiler room environment, the the stereotype of of, of B2B sales? First of all, look look at the way the data is presented. Less than 20% of sales reps... Uh, represents improve their performance under competitive conditions. So what about the other 80? Does it work for them? Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest. I got to be honest. <laughs> I can't listen to a company that has a name, Energy. I refuse to accept that name, Energy. I guess energy, joyful energy. I don't know. They seem a little optimistic. It might. By the way, if you're from Energy, we'd love to hear how you came up with the name <laughs> Energy. <laughs> I'm going to slag you off to your face, and then I want you to tell me how I was right to slag you off. That's what you just did right there. <laughs> Go ahead, Will. I'll let you finish this one. So, and you're dead right. Um, so it's the, it's the third point here that I thought was interesting, but you're dead right. Clearly, that this is skewed, the, the way that they presented this data. Yeah. <clears throat> Moving on from that, 35% of salespeople improve their performance through cooperation not competition. Now, when you get into a third, uh, more than a third of individuals, maybe we're talking now, there's an opportunity to perhaps split workforces up and or change and not always have it so competitive, maybe uh, establish some co- uh, collaborative environments at some points during the uh, kind of the, the, the sales year or however things are structured. But it was this third point that I thought was most interesting. 70% of salespeople improve their performance through group challenges and achieve peak performance when operating in small groups of two or three people. Now, I know it's my experience in the last couple of medical device companies I worked in that I was the, how did you describe it, like the, the the senior salesperson, then I had a logistics person, I had a, a trainee underneath me, and then product manager kind of like the same level as me that could jump in and, and do meetings if I couldn't get there and, and things like that. I, I found that that environment was better for me. It, that, that collaborative environments were like, don't get me wrong, I got the commission on the sale when it came in, but being able to delegate, being able to share responsibilities and be able to get other people's thoughts and feedback. And even I'd send in the um, the logistics guy, I'd send him into these hospitals and these accounts and people would talk to him differently because he wasn't the one doing the deal. And then he would report Intel back as well. So I found that, uh, that I performed better in this environment of two or three people in a group than just one lone salesperson 
Victor, do you think that perhaps sales could change and become more collaborative, uh, selling in small teams? Or do we need that lone salesperson because that lone salesperson is uh, kind of getting the commission, so they've got the real incentive? No, I actually agree with the last point here. The you know, as far as being more collaborative, uh, you know, it, it's just the way the nature of the business has changed. The lone wolf is dying. The maverick is almost dead. I, I think it's almost impossible, especially in a B two B scenario, to really be that one person doing everything. So mm-hmm. I think if you have a solid team, and even when I was coming up as a salesperson, I had people who always supported me. I had a customer service person, and if I needed a tech person on the side, I had one as well. So it's always been that way. So I love this. Uh, I love the group challenges, especially if everybody gets. As this is the part I like to emphasize. As long as everybody's getting a little piece of the action, do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? In other words, there's some type of gain sharing uh, in terms of commission and stuff like that, that everybody's pulling in the same direction. Everybody's adding. I think this is a great way to look at selling today. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, again, it's my experience. I don't know if uh, people who are not a closing salesperson who are managing an account needs commission but or on a sale, but perhaps they can be incentivized in other ways more appropriate to the role that they're in to create that kind of environment where everyone wins, right? That's what we're aiming for. I, I, I got to give you a, a real, because uh, this this will shock a lot of people. I'm about to shock a lot of people. You ready? I'm about to give some insight. <laughs> I'm about to pull back the curtain on something most people yes. don't even know. Come on. So Grant Cardone, would you say that guy is the lone wolf of the lone wolves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the maverick of the mavericks. I, I was in his bullpen. We did a training together about, I don't know, two years ago. And I got a chance to sit in his bullpen his bullpen is where his people are at uh, selling the products, right? The training products. And first of all, the guy trains his people like daily. This is like a machine. Yeah. So what you see is what you get. It's a machine every day. <clears throat> but here's what's interesting. When I was in the bullpen, I got a chance to sit next to one of the, uh, one of the sales guys who let me sit next to him and just kind of hear his chat. What, what Grant implemented and his right arm, Jared Glant, what he implemented was interesting. There's a person, I'll call it the supervisor, floating. Right. And if that person needs to help with the call, it's like you signal the other person to jump in on the call. So that's a collaborative sell. Mm-hmm. So even though sometimes it seems like, no, you just do it yourself, close the deal, ABC. In that scenario, they, as you say, they change faces, they, they switch voices, so to speak, to actually close deals. That's collaborative selling, even at that level. For sure. I, I remember one of the, it must be one of his biggest videos, one of Grant's biggest YouTube videos. But one of the first videos I ever saw of Grant Cardone was him jumping into a sales call in the midst of it. And um, I think Jared was actually in the video. I think Jared looks about three in the video. He looks about 14 years old. Um, so he must have been when he first joined the we'll company. Have, we'll have to send this to Jared. Glenn. Yeah. Hey, you look like about three in that video. Yeah, little baby. Yeah. Uh, but Grant jumped in and uh, obviously he looked like the superstar because the deal closed. Now, would if the deal hadn't have closed, would he have uploaded it to YouTube? Who knows? Maybe because there's still learning points there. But the fact that you've got a, a high authority in the conversation, the fact that you can just change the pace as well. Sometimes you're on a sales call, and you just you you're both trying to maneuver, you're both in a good place, you're both trying to get the deal done, but you're not necessarily butting heads. But there's just some friction, something's not going. Just a change of pace, a change of individual can make a massive difference. So that's really smart if they've got a perhaps the, the, a more senior person like floating around who can just uh, give advice or jump in or ask questions or kind of uh, kind of help out the salespeople, especially if they're hitting that little bit of a wall that we've all we've all felt right. Yeah, I I, I did a deal many years ago. I remember I traveled with the uh, the sales guy. Right at that point, I was the VP of sales. He was just an account manager. 
and we met with the CEO Hold of the company and their Hold on a second, Victor. Right? Hold on a second. We'll you just said just an account manager. Now, you just offended three quarters of the audience here. Myself included. I was the VP of sales. He was just an account manager. How okay, how okay. demeaning to our audience, Victor. How right. you're just like belittled, like literally probably like three quarters of the tens of thousands of people that are gonna hear this. I was the VP of sales. He was just an account manager. Come on, man. Okay, okay. Uh, you, 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 by the way, my apologies to all account executives <laughs> out there. Here's what I meant. Because apparently we live in this cancel culture and I don't want to be canceled on this week in sales. Here's what I meant. Is that he had only been with the company for a year. That's what I really meant. I should say he was a young account manager. I think that, that, that should have been more appropriate. So I apologize for that. That, that would have been more appropriate. Thank you for calling me out, Will. Thank you for I making me feel bad. With you. What was interesting, though, that the young account manager, like, I don't know, just struck a chord with the CEO. And I couldn't find rhythm with the CEO, but I love talking to the engineers. Mm -hmm. And so we actually agreed. I said, well, look, I'll just talk to the engineers on the side, and then you can follow up with the CEO. I didn't have a problem with that. And this only account manager was the person driving the sale. I was just watching as a spectator. And I just thought that was interesting how you match personalities, and then you go with that. Collaborative selling. This is why I'm with you on the whole idea of that. Love it. That makes total sense. I've been in th those experiences before as well. The boss comes in. The, perhaps the customer thinks that the boss... I, I've been in literal situations before where I've spent loads of time with a surgeon. He's using the product service. He loves it. He wants to expand the... I'm just thinking of Bradford Hospital here. I did loads of business with them uh, just around the corner from me. And my boss would come in and immediately the surgeon would be like, why is he here? What, what are you trying to pull? What, why, why, is, why is the sales manager involved? Just You will just come in and just do what you're doing. You're doing fine. So it's both uh, kind of like multiple elements to all of this. And I guess if you don't have the option, it's a problem. But if you've got the option and you, you, you can have a collaborative sale, it's going to be better for both you and the customer, right? And by the way, you bring up a good point. We'll get on to the next point. And that is sometimes when you bring somebody in at higher level, people get suspicious. Like, why do you have to bring that person in? Why did you need the closure to come in? So it's a good point. Anyway, well, I thought this was another one that, uh, look, I'm looking at how do you shorten sales cycle? So this one caught my eye, speeding up the sale with contract AI software. And I know we've talked about this in the past. So I just want to put a finer point on it. The sales function at any enterprise encompasses a vast array of duties ranging from discrete contractual tasks to overarching strategy. Look, let's, let's be simple about this. Legal Pretty much a bunch of stick-in-the-mud people just slow everything down. I don't like the way that T was crossed. That I dot, it looks a little funny. <laughs> They'll come up with anything to slow everything down. And so everything from creating a contract, drafting it, monitoring the progress, keeping them moving forward, approving it, and delivering the contract. Uh, I'd never really heard this term. And there's a company called Own It. Love that. Own It owns it. Own It has something called a Contract Lifecycle Management, a CLM. It's a solution that helps with end-to-end -end automation of the entire contract management process, allowing for a more efficient sales function and better insight into sales data. Now, would you consider this, Will, a sales acceleration tool? Hmm. I would have to see if it actually accelerates sales or I consider something that's sales acceleration if it literally closes or reduces the time from contact to deal closed. Now, this might remove some of the burden. It might be a better experience for the buyer. 
but I'm not necessarily, and we're talking semantics here, clearly. My, it's my opinion on a semantic. But I'm not, I don't necessarily consider companies and organize, uh, and <clears throat> software and tools that just make things easier, sales acceleration, if they're not uh, squeezing the, the cycle length. So this might squeeze the cycle length. It might go through it all and it might take just as long, but <clears throat> you come out the other end and you know that the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed. So it might be more of a covering your own ass for mistakes as opposed to um, speed of sale. I don't know. I'd have to experiment with it to answer your, your question. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, the AI can actually catch phrases, clauses in there that they'll highlight for the contract person. But the fact that they highlight those and maybe call them out faster will probably speed up the contractual process maybe a little more. I, I just think it's a fascinating idea. Um, I was reading the book, I think I've mentioned to you before, the book Atomic Gain, uh, Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. Atomic Habits by, I think it's James Clear. Great book. I mean, just a great book. One of my favorite books from 2020. And in there, he talks about a guy named Dale Braves, Dave Brailsford. I think he's in, from your part of town. Uh, this is the guy that took over the British cycling team. Mm -hmm. And he came up with something called the aggregation of marginal gains. Aggregation of marginal gains, which means find little pieces of improvement everywhere. And so this, to me, is kind of the aggregation of marginal gains. Maybe we can use the software just to accelerate. Maybe it'll only improve one day, but maybe that begins to add up. Yeah, I, I agree. And stuff like that on a, on a basic principle, I'm not bashing this organization, it is great. But the the only the downside to some of this is <clears throat> when you go for that marginal gains or you go for this like the Japanese like Kaizen approach of continual improvement, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. when you don't create the software, when you don't own it, you might end up logging into 27 things to get a deal done when just a phone call can solve a problem. That's that's my only uh, caveat to a lot of this. I find that sometimes it's easy just to get on the phone with someone who's the expert on the legal team and just solve the issue as opposed to try and use tools and software to, to avoid the phone. Uh, and, I, and I find myself sometimes doing that and realizing, hey, a phone call solves this. Why am I faffing around? You know, this leads me to believe, Will, that maybe in the in your past you've had some problems with a legal team or something, contractual issues, and maybe you're scarred by that experience, which makes you not believe in what this product is offering. Could that be it? Quite the opposite. The deals I do, Victor, are that large that they take a full legal team to support them and, and get them through because I'm dealing with these public companies, mate, and you know it's shareholder money on the line here. And the deals again are that they're that vast that one one clause, one issue, it could topple a whole organization, a whole enterprise, mate. So that's 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 where a lot of this comes from. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> hey, by the way, Will, have you ever heard this phrase? Uh, switching topics here: asynchronous demo asset. No. And I was interviewing uh, Joe Caprio from a company called GetReprise.com. Have you interviewed him yet? I have not, no. Uh, we were talking demos. And and he talked about asynchronous demo asset, to which I said, what? What's an asynchronous <laughs> demo asset? And we talked about this in the past, or at least I mentioned it with a guy named Garen Hess, uh, who, who actually does video recorded demos that he gives to the champion. And then that demo is passed on you know, to other people within an organization. And that's what he means by asynchronous. So I wanted to highlight this new phrase because I think it's interesting how more companies are jumping into the demo game, trying mm -hmm. to figure out how do we propagate our demo into an organization, get it deeper downfield so we can get our message heard. So I think it's interesting. By the way, great website, great content, worth looking at. Amazing. Well, we'll link that in thisweekinsales.com. And I've got one final thing to report on before we wrap up. So last week, we discussed conversion.ai. So I signed up. They got $30 of my money or $29 of my money. 
I think that's pretty good. I was actually surprised. Now, I had to go... The, the, the point of the service is they'll write copy for you, whether it's for marketing copy, uh, sales email copy, website copy, things like this. And you, you type in the, the elements that you want to promote, product names, all these kind of things. You essentially give it a style copy to work against. And both of us last night were slight, uh, last week were slightly, uh, not hypercritical, but we were, we, we were guarded with our kind of, uh, mm-hmm. how, 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 how excited we were for this kind of a product or service because it's very complicated and it's very difficult to provide uh, kind of a decent output. We did pretty good. We had we had we had, we had a muted excitement. Muted about excitement. It. Nice. That that sounds like a political uh, way of describing uh, the. I was I was I was also trying to find a political way to describe it and uh, I couldn't get the words out. But yeah, it worked quite well. So I don't know if it's fully recommended from this week in sales. Obviously, Victor would have to have a take a look at it as well. Um, but it's worth experimenting with, and it opened my eyes that perhaps some of these technologies. Perhaps they could replace an intern. Maybe they can't replace a full-time copywriter or uh, you know an expert sales professional at this point. But perhaps they could. You know, if you if you hire the interns, graduate interns who don't know nothing other than how to do a beer bong and you know, get drunk and party, maybe these kind of tools could uh, kind of remove some of those rules. Maybe yeah, maybe it fits one of those little gaps that you can't hire somebody, but you don't want to do it, and it's a tween product. You know what I mean? It's something in between. Yeah. So you got something from is this Hannah Class? Hannah oh, that Class. Was interesting. Let me scroll to the bottom of the document. So we have a LinkedIn message from Hannah Class who says, "Hi Will, I'm a massive fan of TWIS this week in sales. Our company also tried sticking the whole team on a quote." Better for everyone, straight to 45k salary. And she's referring to uh, a post, uh, a couple mm. of articles that we referenced last week, uh, where organisations tried to put sales teams on fixed salaries, the whole company on a fixed salary, thinking that everyone would be happy. And clearly, that is not capitalism, and people weren't happy. She goes on to say, "You know whose salary wasn't going to change? The managing director." So I assume um, Hannah is in the UK over here using that term. It was squashed in the end, but I echo Victor and your thoughts on the matter. So yeah, so this must be an experiment that a reasonable amount of organizations are doing to stick everyone on a fixed salary and come by R and, and hopefully everyone does the right amount of work and everyone kind of pulls forward when, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be very difficult to motivate people unless you're doing it financially, I think. That's interesting. I, by the way, I thought we were going to get a massive amount of emails about this one this whole base salary to make you happy. But that's interesting that in this case, they tried it, but the managing director didn't want his salary to change, which means he didn't buy into it. He didn't buy into it. Dan Price, from the company we mentioned, he bought into it. Yeah. When you frame it up like that, that makes total sense. You're just uh, throwing shit down the hill as opposed to getting involved as well. And we talked about it last week. Clearly, a managing director, the value of the organization, hopefully you're going to sell it, pass it on, do something with it. That's where your your payday is. You, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that and it's subjective. I, I'll, 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 I'm hesitant as I say this, but perhaps I'd rather have my sales team earn way more than me as a managing director of a small organization, knowing that I'll get a payday 10 years from now from selling the company. Um, I don't feel like I need that cash up front. I feel like that cash as a managing director, not every time, but perhaps uh, more often than not, should be reinvested into the organization. And that would be a smarter move, if nothing else. What do you think, Victor? Yeah, I always thought that as a as a manager, and I'm talking about as a sales manager, that if I'm making more money than my salespeople, something is wrong. Sure, you know that's the way that was my mindset. Now I want to make more money than them, but if they're making a lot of money, 
they're happy and they're just going to float my boat. So that was mm-hmm. my philosophy. How do I put a compensation plan that motivates my team, which will guarantee my success? Yeah. That makes total sense. All right then, Victor, before we wrap up, mate, anything you want to add? Anything you want to wrap up or end the show on? You know, uh, I'm really disappointed in you, Will. Uh, (laughs) You took two good shots at me today. Uh, The first one was about my age, that you were surprised that I would use social media. Totally offended by that, by the way. Second was when you called me on the AE, just an AE, (laughs) which you rightly so that you did that. Uh, But other than that, on a positive note, uh, all is good on this side. I'll redo in the studio. Uh, business is good. Like I said, I've, I've been up early talking to the folks in India, and that's all the news I have. How about yourself? How well, I'm Walter doing? Walter's doing well. Walter is right now in a in a crate. I can see him on the camera on, on the screen over here, just sleeping. He likes to sleep, which is great for me because it allows me to get work done. And Victor, I'm going to wrap up the show on this note, mate. I'm also disappointed in you. You were disappointed in me for having shots, sh- shooting shots over your way. I'm disappointed in you, Victor because you didn't really have an attempt to shoot any, uh, to fire any uh, kind of hate at me this week. I think that was, nope. I don't know if you're tired. I don't know if you're, you're off your game. I don't know what it is. I give you plenty of opportunities. I'll teed you up and there was nothing coming back. What's what's going on, man? Yeah. By the way, like you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and watch the tape. <laughs> I said, where did I miss to play? Where did I miss it? Where did I miss it? But Anyway, good show. Good show, Will. Well, with that, that was Victor Antonio, sales legend. My name is Will Barron, and you can find more of this content and every future episode, every previous episode over at thisweekinsales.com. Leave us your comments and thoughts and sales news over there. And with that, we'll speak with you again on next week's This Week in Sales.